Hello everyone and welcome to Minute 110 of Season 5 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Dave Palace of 5 Minutes of Mystery. Welcome back, Dave. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on the wing of this plane, uh, but it's getting really icy out here. So maybe, maybe you should like jump off at some point? Is that a possibility? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess at some point I just gotta let you go. Yeah. You, you gotta let me go, or I gotta let you go, or you know, <laughs> it could it could be either of us. I don't know. Are, are, I'm more than happy just to sit on the runway and uh, wait for some Coco. Okay, waiting for Coco is good. I don't know who Coco is, but you can wait for her. You know, oh, you I want just want some, some hot chocolate, damn it! It's cold <laughs> in here. Yeah, but then you can't have a fight. You know, come on. Wait, you're gonna stop. Fight. You're gonna stop in the no, middle of a fight. Can you, fight. can you imagine? Can you imagine like uh, Rocky Balboa or Hulk Hogan in the middle of a fight saying, "All right, I'm gonna go get some hot cocoa." Come on. But I can. I can imagine a client seems like, hey, you, know, just, you got you, you make me. Oh, Rocky, I'm making some cocoa. Oh, so he's like, he's sitting there, and he's like playing with his turtles and stuff. That's what I can imagine. Anyway. Okay. All right. I, I can. I can sort of understand. That. There you go. All right. So, episode 110 begins with John sliding down the wing and ends with Esperanza getting ready for takeoff. Basically, we ended things yesterday with, I guess there's no other way of saying it, Stuart kicking John's ass. Um, yep. Literally. <laughs> and, and John starts falling off the, you know, the plane towards the, the wing. And, you know, he, he slides down in, in a very nice fashion. Because, it, you know, he doesn't like flip off or anything like that he, he slides down to where he wants to go so they they scripted this well you definitely can can say that right <laughs> oh yeah um i mean like i don't know yeah what when that occurred to john's i guess it occurred to john's plan soon after major grant i guess he thought maybe i'll i'll i'll, I'll uh yeah i'll beat up i'll beat up uh colonel stewart and then um and then i'll maybe pull that like, he either I'll, I'll pull it, and then I'll jump off. Like, I don't know what his plan was. Like, because he doesn't want them to come out and start shooting him. So he's got to, he's, he, no matter what, he's got to make sure he gets away, because there's still, like, 30 armed guys in there. Right. Yeah, I don't know if John really has a plan. I think that's part of the whole idea that John just, uh, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, wings it the whole time, you know, with what he does. So I mean, he's definitely at least stalled their, like, escape by, like, 10 minutes. So, like. You know, if, if if the government was, you know, the government got word from Dulles, they should have, yeah, definitely have a jet scrambled. It's like, okay, these guys aren't going to make it out of the tri-state area. Right. And then you can also take into consideration the fact that, you know, they must have a really, really long runway. The fact if they've been, you know, stopped from, from taking off. So, so basically they're just cir- circling the runway at this point. Yeah. You know, because uh, – yeah. I mean, as we know, it's it, it's not 10 minutes uh, of screen time. Let's put it that way. It could be 10 minutes in their time, but on screen time, so it's maybe, you know, uh, was it five minutes? You know, it's, it's just okay. pretty much yeah. this week. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't think that, you know, may, maybe we had a little bit last week. I'm trying to remember, but uh, no, I think I think pretty much this week. No, John jumps onto the on Monday. John jumped onto onto the wing. So yeah. Basically, it's this entire week that he's been uh, taking up their time. So five minutes. Five minutes is still a nice long time yeah. for a plane that's accelerating, you know, to to try to take off. 
So and, I, and, and no point, I remember when Barnes and, um, I can't remember his name, the Thompson guy, um, when they were talking about the storm or in the first act, they didn't make it sound like, like it was, was going to get worse as the night went on. So I, I'm assuming this storm is definitely worse than it was an hour ago, which was worse than an hour ago. So, like, you look at General Esperanza, his idea to fly these guys south out of there, out of uh, American territory, it, at night, uh, in a blizzard, and they have no hostages. So if he calls a, he calls a tower, they're going to be like, no, we're not helping you. No. Like, <laughs> like or or they could guide them. or. Uh, See, here's my here's another thing. I, I thought I was thinking about this um, since earlier this week, when when Colonel Stewart had to manipulate a plane's their their instruments from remotely, so they thought that you know what they were approaching, um, the landing at Dulles was you know 200 feet, whatever it was, uh, higher than it really was, or lower than it really was. Um, it's like, well, could yeah, could other radio control towers like be assisted by essentially? I don't know the government at this point, right? So, like, essentially a bunch of CIA, uh, you know, James Earl Jones, Tom Clancy type suits guys come in. They're like, hey, I was never here, but we want you to, like, uh, you know, give the General Esperanza's plane, like, you know, 10 degrees off the shore, off, uh, you know, like, uh, call it, uh, off the coast, go out to the water. As soon as they're, like, outside of water, we just send a jet to bomb it and just be done with it, you know, just... Like that's, you mean like 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 what they did in like what they did in Hunt for October? You're basically saying where they can just pull, push a button and okay, nobody, you, I wasn't here. This didn't happen. Yeah. You know? Like I I had to assume like at some point yeah the you know, the because all right let let's say yeah let's say you're some form of Justice Department if if not higher you could be some form of like high end FBI type because uh, it's like you find out. Uh, that yeah, the the one army patrol you had uh, throughout the 80s uh, dealing with South American communists, they went rogue and they're the ones that have been uh, shooting up Dulles. Then you realize that like the uh, counterterrorism group set in was also part of it. So it's like you're like okay, we have two groups that went rogue under our noses and we didn't stop them. They like walked right into Dulles Airport, took it over. And then it's like our army that we set in was also compromised and we didn't see that coming. Now they're taking a plane. And they're holding, yeah, the play, the uh, the the tower control still hostage. So it's like I assume they have to go to like where were the next radio towers south that General Sprodzo would hit. It's like unless he wants to fly by dead reckoning, I would assume like with this plane, I assume whatever uh, whatever remote transmissions it gets, I assume like the government's going to be manipulating it to make sure they never reach their destination. And yeah, I think obviously the movie just wants to think about that. They're like, oh no, they get away. They're like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 hold on. We spend billions in Air Force a year. It's like we're we would have a jet. There's no hostages. Like that's the thing is, once they're in the air, they have no hostages. And you know, until DC sends like a real bomb unit team to double check all that equipment, or at least finds a way to sever the ties the church has to the main tower. You know, like that's all. That's the only. Ta that's the only. Uh, you know, bargaining chip they have. So it's like once they're in the air, it's like yeah, we're just going to shoot it down. Then we're going to send a real bomb disposal tech team to Dallas or I don't know they send out like a thousand uh giant trucks with big lights like Batman like uh, like Barnes was joking earlier but the government will just show up with a bunch of lights after this so it's 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 one of these things where they don't want you to like yeah don't think too much well, how do they get away easily like, don't worry about it John's gonna handle it right now 
Right. Well, I mean, we know that there, there's a lot of flaws in the whole logic here, but it, it's still fun. You know, that, that's the important fun, yeah. thing. You know, even though we know that it doesn't all really make sense. But, okay. <laughs> I think, you know what it is? I think it's like, I, didn't, I maybe people didn't think about it too much back then, but I feel like nowadays you watch so many documentaries and they talk about like why a plane crashed and like they have like 18 different experts on that like say like, well, there were computers that we found, the black box said this and that. And it's like, so there's like so much data that even when like a plane really does like, you know, like, like, uh, was it Malaysian airlines? Like even when a plane does disappear and we don't find it for at least a while, or like we don't find the whole wreckage rivers, there is so much data that's still recovered. Meaning that like, you know, the plane is still giving out coordinates. The plane is still communicating at some point with towers. Right. So I just feel like, yeah, it's like now that we think we know all about that, we go, oh, this, this modern day plane would definitely have like radio communications and other GPS coordinates. So it's like the government's going to be able to track exactly where this plane is. So they're not going to get away scot-free. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, I, it, you, you were talking about black boxes and, and it reminded me there was some comedian. I don't, I can't remember who it is, so I can't give the, the proper credit, but he basically said, you know, they, they make these black boxes that can, uh, withstand any type of accidents. Now, why can't they make the whole plane out of that same material? You know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That, that is an old joke. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's an old joke. Yeah. But uh, it's still, <laughs> it's 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 one of those you know jokes that it's it sounds like something Stephen Wright would say. Yeah. You know, it, it's Fellas, it's it's an old joke, but 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 it it makes a lot of sense. Fellas, don't you hate when you pick your wife up in the airport and the terrorists take it over? <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, come on. That's right. That's that's John McClain's stand-up. <laughs> Actually, where's where's our girl when you need him? Oh man, yeah. <laughs> and you know, as John is sliding down, so we we get a shot of Stuart, and he's like, he looks like he's cackling. You know, which which I mean, is great. Yeah. It's oh, just yeah. just a great you know look on his uh, on his face as he as he says it. You know, because, I mean, that, that, yeah, his grin is about as wide as like Hans was when he realizes, oh, McClane doesn't have a gun. I have his wife here. Like, you know, he he thinks the plan is still working out. You know that that he, right. that, that evidence has been accounted for. So that's we, the same thing with Stewart. Instead of a taped gun to his back, it's my hand is on the fuel release. That's right. Now, did did you did you uh, catch what um, what Stewart says to, to John at first? He says to him as he's, uh, as he's walking towards John, he says, "How's it going?" And he's laughing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know, so like to me, it you know, I looked I looked up what cackle means. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So like cackle is a form of laughter, often an evil laughter. Um, and there are actually two characters, two fictional characters named Cackle. There's a Miss Cackle, who is a character in a series called The Worst Witch, is a book series. By Jill Murphy, and then you have Mr. Cackle, who is a Looney Tunes character uh, from the 1962 uh, cartoon *The Slick Chick*. Mm. You know, so and then also the the whole idea of like evil laughter or maniacal uh, maniacal laughter. You know, it's it's basically laughter by a maliciously intended individual or villain in fiction. How far back do you think that that uh, idea or that phrase goes? You know, of, of mm. using evil, the, the phrase evil laughter or maniacal laughter in fiction. How far back would you say that would go? 
God, I would say like, I don't know, I would say like maybe 1600s. Maybe not exactly Shakespeare. I don't think, I don't know, because I don't remember reading about Shakespeare characters cackling. But I know there are like when there's malicious characters who are scheming, but I don't ever remember them cackling in like. Right. So okay. I want to say like 1617. I want to say 1600s. All right. That's a, that's a little farther back than than what what's recorded and what I found. What I found was is that it goes back to about 1860. If you're using the expression okay. "evil laughter," but you can use "wicked laugh," that goes back to 1784. And then "sardonic laugh" is something that they found uh, in 1714, and and it's even uh, it it could be something that goes back even further. Now my question is this: When you went to the seven, when you said that the 1700s, did it say what's like the first known recorded? Like, was it? In, I want to know if it was in a, in a book, or was a play. Like, I'm very curious because I feel like I feel like that would be a it would be a perfect thing to introduce to to audiences in a play, to be like we need to let this the audience know that the evil character is planning and you know putting our hero through something. So we'll have them cackle on stage so the audience knows this is our villain. And they feel that they are victorious in this moment. I'm, I'm just so curious. Okay, so first of all, that's a great question as to how far where where that goes back. So the 1714 uh, source is from a book called The Guardian. So okay. that that is actually you know from from a novel. And if we want to go into the uh, the one from 1784, it's from a book called The Diary and Letters of Madame. Darbly. All right, all right. I was hoping. So, to be, I just wanted. I wanted it. I wanted to be see it was a play, but yeah. I mean, I, I the it, thing I is, you're right. I, I mean, it it makes sense. I I would have, you know, if I would have guessed, I would have guessed that it was from a play, but apparently it's not. I mean, that's earliest written down, but I like to hope. I like to hope, just for the sake of argument, I like to hope that like they had there were plays back then in the in the ye old England. That you know they they had the the villain do a cackle and it, you know they don't, no dialogue they just go like ha, 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 and the audience is like oh no that's the villain right now I mean you're 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 a comic book or, or comic uh, a superhero fan so in comic books yeah how do they usually write a a uh, maniacal laugh do you have any idea well I mean okay. I mean, if I'm picturing what a cackling villain would look like, it would definitely be at least a quarter of the page. It's they use it's rarely wasted. When there's a cackle, I feel like the artist and the writer definitely get on the same page to be like, okay, we want this to be at least a quarter, if not like a half a page, maybe full page, depending how how dramatic the scene is. And I would say it would start off with a muha. So you have to start with a M U H. And then a h a h like from that like muahahaha. Like you, 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 you are correct. Up to it. You are correct. There's, like, you could have the yeah. muahaha. You could have the muahaha. Okay, m w a ha ha ha. M u w ha ha ha. M u a ha ha ha. And then they have the b w a muahaha. That that's also, also used. And here's another thing of that that the cackle. It's full mouth. Like you never. Just kind of grin out the side of your mouth. And go <laughs> like it has to be full bore mouth. If not, your your head almost has to be back as if you're you're cackling to the skies. Like it always is, has to be as dramatic as it could possibly get. Even it's a girl's story. Full mouth, full out into the wind. That's his cackle. You know, it's not like it's not quite like ha ha ha. I got you, McClay. No, it's ha ha ha. You know, it's 
it's full bore. And he does it really well. But but what's what I find very interesting is is he's not your typical villain. You know, he's he's a turncoat. Yeah. You know, he's someone who started off as a good guy. So you'd think that that he wouldn't have had time to you know to work on his bohahas on his cackles. So it's it, it's pretty interesting the way that uh, you know that that, mean, that he's able to do it. McClane brought it out of him. It's like what Holly said in the first movie. Like no one can drive someone crazy like John can. Oh, that's true. And and like Colonel Stewart, when we first meet him, he is a man of few words. He barely moves his jaw. Barely he says his lines and he's tight jawed about it. But now, like John has brought the crazy out of him. He's like, I'm bringing out my. And I, he's not just bringing, you know, not bringing a knife. He brings a knife, I should say. But like, he, he wants to do the mano y mano. He wants to, you know, really. He wants to. He wants to go more. He could easily just toss him off the plane, but he doesn't. He wants to pound on him. He wants to boot him in the face. He wants to cackle. He like. He's no longer like you know the up, up upstanding colonel. He's no longer the turncoat. Uh, you know, manipulator. Now he is like madman. His brain's freezing in the wind, and he's just you know like. And he this this guy has been dogging him and his team all night, and he feels like he finally has the upper hand. Right, not just dogging them. He's killed every one of his. Yeah, team. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, like, he's got, yeah. There is you're right. Like he's, he's not he's not winged a single guy. It's like everybody's getting their head blown off. That's or, right. Or crushed by McLean. Correct. Yeah, completely. So at this point, Stuart then uh, slides down towards John, and we see that John is once again fiddling with that fuel gauge. And you know, as he gets very close, you know, he he screams to John, bon, "Bon voyage!" And then he kicks John in the face, and then John, uh, you know, falls down onto the onto the ground. So I. I actually did did a little bit of too much research about this, and you know the term bon voyage, you know, is is a French phrase that's borrowed in English, and it usually means have a nice trip. So I, I decided to to look up, and I got a, a list of probably hundreds of phrases, and obviously we're not going to go through all of them. Uh, I'm just going to pick out a few of them that are French words that are commonly used in English and just not okay. translated. You know, so you have bon voyage. Um, you have, you know, a la carte, which yeah. is literally, you know, it means on the cart or on the menu. Um, and, you know, then you have, uh, what, what else? Uh, attaché. You know what an attaché is? Well, uh, when I, when I hear attaché, it's kind of like, it's like a, like a collection of things, like whether, because I would attaché case, that means like everything's like collected together or like here's the attache file usually means like here's all the documents about the, the the topic at hand here it is right well actually attache means to fasten or to tighten or to be linked so the idea is that someone okay. who's an attache is someone who's attached to the embassy but you uh, can... yeah the attache is a person right I about that yeah. and what is an attache attache case usually it's usually handcuffed to somebody so it's it's something that's that's you know fastened mm. to the person. All okay. right. Yeah. Um, okay. Au pair. Uh, I mean, I know it. I guess it means like a maid or child care. That's right. A young foreigner who does domestic chores in exchange for room and board. Oh, okay. See, oh, so 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 really, it doesn't have to be a maid. Okay. Right. Because the au pair is the au pair is always shown as like. A child's guardian and some kind of uh, an old pair is a babysitter. 
I think it's a babysitter. That, that's what they're I mean, trying to say here. I think it's, I think it's, but well, the original definition you have there pretty much just means that like you're kind of working for your boarding. That's but right. You're you're the, watching the children yeah. or doing chores in order to you know in order to, to yeah. get free room and board type of thing. But it, what's funny, yeah, it's just the, the original definition really just kind of just means like you're just yeah you're doing essentially simple servant chores as your room and board. But it's funny how it has now been like like understood to be yeah you are uh, a young nanny to a child. Uh, in Europe, like right. that's a, it, it, you, you never hear. Yeah, you never hear that in America. It's that's only right. used in the European sense. No, now it's used. It's, America, it's I think it's. I think it is used. Yeah, I think it's used in America. You know, in in uh, you know high society. You know, it's not that we yeah. we have we have some, we have a nanny. It's we have an au pair. You know, nanny. I think that's yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's the idea. Now, the next one I'm going to mention is something that I never knew was a French word. Okay, beaucoup. Okay. I I've seen tons of Vietnam movies and they always say, you know, there there are buku uh yeah. you know uh bad guys or whatever it is. And I I well, always when it was French Indo China. I know. Why. No, I realize yeah. that. But up until this moment, <laughs> I thought that, yeah, that was yeah, yeah. that was a Vietnamese word. You know, that they uh, were saying we have, you know, buku gooks. You know, so that yeah. means, you know, we have a lot of uh, you know, I never realized the the whole idea, which is just I found it really funny. That you know, obviously we, you know, anyone who's seen We Were Soldiers knows, uh, you know, that the French were the first ones to get their butts kicked in Vietnam before before the U.S. You know, many years earlier. So yeah, you know. Um, all right, uh, bon appetit. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I usually, yeah, that usually is a form meaning the I'm about to relish this dish. Like, I mean, that's the best way. Like, you know, it's either like you're wishing you're wishing the group because it's always said usually like to somebody, rarely to yourself. So yeah, it, it usually is uh, you're wishing someone like yeah have enjoy your meal or something. Very exactly. Or something. That's that's exactly what it is. It means enjoy your meal. Good appetite. Okay. So enjoy your meal. Got Perfect. It. Okay. okay. Um, cash. C a c h e. Um. See. Yeah. The ca- Yeah. That usually means a. Uh, a supply of something. Usually, cash usually is. It's always it's always used when you're referring to. Um, it feels like like weapons, explosives. That's it's right. Usually used in the exactly. military sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a collection of items of the same type stored in a hidden or an inaccessible place. Ah, uh, the hidden part. That's what makes it interesting. Okay, hidden that's part. right. It's so, often yeah, used often used for okay. weapons. Okay. Yeah. Okay. C H E Z. Uh, I always thought that was either some form of, I, it's usually used when it's with a lounge. So I, I think that means, is it mean like, cause usually if a chaise lounge usually means only has like two walls to the side. Like it usually, it's never a full, like a couch or something. It's, it's like half of a bed at times, but it's not a pull out. Okay. No. So a chaise is at the house of. Okay. Oh, it's usually Jesus Christ. That's all it means. That's right. It's usually names of restaurants. You know, like you'd have Shea Dave or Shea Marie. You know, it means you know Dave's house or Marie's house or something like that. Oh Jesus. Uh, well, I, I, I don't I expect you to know these. You know. These yeah. Are... No, I, I got confused with the Shea's Lounge. I thought it meant something like like specific or material. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm waiting for you to say carte blanche. I feel like that's another one that. 
That was the, that was the, that's the next one. Very good. Perfect. Carte Blanche. Okay, what's Carte Blanche? It really kind of means uh, like full permissions or full allowance of something. Usually, when yeah, Carte Blanche means is that like you're gonna you're gonna order something, you're gonna put something together, and no one's going to like stop your authority to do so. Right. So literally, it means a white card, which is basically a blank check, which means you have unlimited oh, authority. Blank check. Oh God, yeah, wow, blind check, carte blanche, yeah, so it's, it's right in front of me. Okay, that's right. Um, coup de gras. Well, okay, that is always used as a form of killing blow. So is that what it means? It means it's the final blow that results in victory. Fine. Okay, the final blow of the victory. Right. Okay. It's yeah. usually used in you know in a battlefield to refer to the killing of badly wounded enemy soldiers. Now more often used in a figurative context like context like business. But, I mean, honestly, the last time I heard it actually used was was uh, was with um, in John Wick Four. The the uh, the Grand Marquis uses it. All right, when and it makes a sense. Duel, he says it. So, and he is like Sarsgaard plays it comically French. So it's perfect. He like anytime he can, he uses one of these French lingos. Right. That's true. But again, I mean, we, we there's so many here. Uh, what's what's du jour? Uh, that's a, a day because the soup du jour usually means the soup of the day. The day. That's right. It's it's of the day. Instead of something fashionable or hip for a day and quickly forgotten. You know, soup yeah. du jour is the choice of soup today, but tomorrow it's gonna be something completely different. So we're just well, gonna forget that. It's the soup du jour. It's, it's the soup of the day. That sounds good. I'll have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, facade. Um. That is, I would say, a fake wall. The, the front of an edifice, a fake persona, as in putting on a facade. Yeah, okay, okay. So it is the yeah. front of something, and then you put it, and if you put a front of your face, they have that, they're wearing a facade. Okay, now I get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, fate accompli. Not familiar, no. Okay, accomplished fact. Something that has already happened, it is thus unlikely to be reversed. Basically, a done deal. Okay. There's so many here. I, I didn't realize how many words there were that, that people just, you know, that you use them in normal conversation. How about hors d'oeuvres? Well, I mean, it usually means like finger food appetizers. Right. It's an appetizer, but the literal translation is, is outside of the, of the main, meaning okay. that you have, you know, the main course. So it's something yeah. on the side mm -hmm. type of thing. Um. Laissez-faire. Uh, I mean, like, ah, it's every time I hear it used, it it's almost kind of used the same way as um. Oh God, uh, I'm forgetting another turn of phrase, but it, like uh, whatever, like the 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 regular like proletariat people. They're calm, like that's what I'm mean, always thinking about, like the laissez-faire. Is that what it means? What it what it basically means is it literally means let do. It means non-interference. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. It means that oh, if you okay. have an economic policy or a political philosophy or things like that, the idea is that you know that it's not not changed. You keep things the way they are. I mean, I, yeah, you don't know. What I, was, I was thinking about status quo and how like interference status quo always seem right. they're always in proximity of each other. That's right. It's like a hands-off attitude. Okay. Yeah, that, that's the idea like, here. Yeah. 
Yeah, usually laissez-faire is the status quo. This is what's normally happening, and laissez-faire to the status quo is like whatever my my thoughts are that are outside the status quo, I'm going to forget about and just go with the with, right. with the whatever else is going. Right, exactly. Um, here, here's one. Here's one that we've we've all heard, and I never knew the exact literal translation of it. Menage a trois. Do you know what the literal uh, translation is of that? I would say. I mean, the, the trois is the three, so I would say just like uh, three people. I'm trying to think how you, how you phrase, like, sleeping of three. The right. Three, a bed made for three or something. It's it's a household for three. Household for three. Okay, yeah, I was trying to think, like, it's bed for three or something. Okay. But, uh, yeah, never would have never thought of that. Um, how about nom de plume? Heard it, but I can't think of a context for it. It basically means a pen name, a pseudonym. Oh, okay. Yeah, pseudonym. Yeah, that's that's the one I usually hear. Yeah, pseudonym. He had, he had a pseudonym when he was writing. Okay. Par avion. Nah, not familiar. It it it. You see it on uh, on stamps, and it means that it's it's uh, you know by aircraft. You know when you send something to airmail, so it has yeah. it's written on the airmail envelopes. Par avion. Okay. No, I, I, I'll 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 believe when I see it. Yeah. You know, I, I, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I never checked my, my government stamping, yeah. Okay, how about Sacre Blue? Uh, I mean, I always feel like it's, it's using a phrase of, like, I'm shocked and appalled. Right. It basically means holy God. Okay. <laughs> it's meant as a cry of surprise or happiness. What, what's that character? There's a character that would always say Sacre Blue. I can't remember who it is right now. Oh, but there was, there was some, I mean, there was some cartoon sure. character. That would. Uh, uh, is it the one with the pink panther? I, I don't know. Uh, no, I, I don't know the answer. I'm just saying. Uh, you know, there's someone. There's someone screaming, the screaming at their. Ah, maybe it's maybe it's uh, Inspector Clouseau. Why hmm. I say Inspector Clouseau with the pink? Because I'm trying to think a character that is comically French who is always shocked by something. I'm like I think it could be Inspector Clouseau with the pink panther. That's my I, yeah. That's and, my best guess. And I think I think you were right. Or like anytime there's a cartoon version of Napoleon. Right. Well, okay. Well, they say uh, Hercule Poirot would use it. Oh, oh, Hercule Poirot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he is. He's Belgian, and he would use it. But like, if you watch the movie, at least the most recent movies, Kenneth Brown, it gives us such a like, um, uh, in control performance that he's never shocked. He's always like, right. Ah, uh, yes. Like he like even if like the the mystery, he like raises his eyebrow, and twitches his mustache once. He's like. Hmm, yes. Like, he's never shocked. He's all like, yeah, I accounted for this. This might be the answer, yes. Right. So, like, I never thought of uh, Hiroku Perug, because he always seems like he's... I read, I think I read a couple. I read two or three for, um, in middle school, I remember. We were, we were doing some light uh, mystery reading and other books like that. I remember reading, like, a couple of the mur uh, ABC Murders. I remember that one, definitely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I never remember him saying Sucker because I think he's, I felt like he was always calm, cool, and collected. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but I mean, according to what I found here, the only other references that you have of it is in the Aristocats, The Little Mermaid, and Beauty and the Beast, where characters say it. Uh okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Where, where do, wait, 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 hold on. Where does wait does uh, Beauty and the Beast? That's that's like uh, I'm trying to think where Beauty and the Beast takes place. But that's kind of like it takes place north, in Paris, northeast. Beauty and the Beast. Wait, did you see Lady the Tramp or Beauty and the Beast? Beauty and the Beast. Tramp, I think it's No, Beauty and the Beast takes Beauty place. Beauty and the Beast, that's 
That's in, it's French. It's in French. Yeah, sure. I guess it's closer to the French Alps because it's always I always thought of it as like a mountain. No, I believe it's I believe it's it, well. I think the main story takes place in Paris because you also have in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. There's you can see Belle walking through the the streets of Paris. You know they have like a cameo see, of Belle. Always, all right, all right. See, I always thought that was just a cameo bit. Like I always felt like uh, that that Belle and her family, like she, they might visit Paris, but I always felt like they were in a suburb, like really up in the mountains, like near yeah, like near like as close as the French could get to the Alps. Like it was kind of like up there, like you know it was you know it was a, a very um, just, just I was, I was trying to say uh, uh, remote tr- uh, a, a tribe town out there, but like I mean yeah I do, uh, I guess I always assumed it was uh, like Eastern Europe, but you're right it is, it is, it is it's French. I mean that's what. But again, it's been a hot minute since I watched any of those those those, those class the, even the classic '90s animated ones. It's been a while since I've seen them. Right. Okay. No, that, that's fair. I'm not uh, I'm not testing you on where where viewing the beast takes place. <laughs> I think I was also trying to think of Lady and the Tramp. Like, I think they were in French, but then they also went to an Italian restaurant. So I'm getting my, I'm getting my like city mixed up. I'm kind of like, was there an Italian restaurant in Paris? Does Lady and the Tramp take place in Paris? Am I losing my mind? Like, I, I believe it does. Like, always, right, yeah. In my mind, I could imagine Lady and the Tramp and the Eiffel Tower like in behind them, like in my my mind's eye. That's why I'm imagining it. Right. Okay. And for the, the final one uh, that I want to use here, uh, voila. Uh, I would say it's it's like, aha, there it is. Right. So, it, right, exactly. It means there it is in English. Um, but the literal translation is see there. You know, but... See there. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, but it's perfectly. It, it, it is restricted to a triumphant revelation. Voila. Right. So, like I said, there's there's tons here. I, I I skipped through most of them because I don't think everyone listening wants to hear every single thing on this uh, twenty-five page uh, article that I as that I pulled as you out. Got out the French dictionary. People are hitting like four ten ten seconds, four ten seconds. <laughs> like, oh, no. oh wow, Rob and Dave are gonna educate me on French idiom. Skip, 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 skip. Oh well, what can you do? <laughs> We're done. We're done. You can go. We, we're going to go back to the to the movie now. Yeah. It's the most John McClane thing ever. Like, I don't want to hear French stuff. I want to hear about busted up terrorists. Skip, 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 skip. <laughs> okay, so John gets kicked in the face, and then he he starts falling towards the ground. You know, and as he's falling, we we see that the the fuel starts spilling out of the plane, and then Stuart looks over at him, and you know he watches John land on the ground. And John does a really nice roll as he hits the ground. And then Stuart once again screams something at him and goes, happy landing. <laughs> um, and what's really funny is at this point, you know, like uh, Stuart bends over to pull the, you know, the the, the, the jacket out, out of the Arions, and Arions. And as he's doing it, he like stumbles a little bit. And wouldn't it have been really funny if he would have like just lost his balance and fall off at that point? Oh yeah, that would that would really mess with the place because yeah, because it's just General Asperance who knows about it. That's right. None of the guys in the back know what's going on, and then they'd be like, somebody's gonna be like, wait, where's where where where's Major Grant? And like, oh, he, and General Asperance is like, I saw him fall into the edge of the plane, and Colonel Stewart's falling off the wing of the plane. Because I think you are cop is stopping us, and they're like, wait, wait, what? It's <laughs> just like, oh, and, and, like, and someone go close the, the door, and someone go close the door before we take off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
are we going to leave Colonel Stewart? He's like, we must go. And then the next thing he says, we are losing fuel now. <laughs> oh, no, and, the Jets are shooting us down. We didn't think that went through. That's right. And the most ironic thing about this whole thing is, is that, you know, he screams him happy landings. Happy landings is is meant as, you know, it, it, you're wishing someone good luck. You know, so for him to be oh, wishing yeah. John good luck, you know. <laughs> well, he, he's, 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 he's putting a little flourish on it. He already said, you know, how's it going? Like, as if he cares about McLean's well-being. Then he says, bon voyage, as if he, like, really cares how McLean falls on the ground. And, like, happy landings, you know, him joking. You know, like, you know, if anything, he's joking that McLean's already, like, landed. Right. He's like, ha you landed. We're taking off. Like, he's just, like I said, like, this is Carl Stewart past the point of sanity now. Like, he's he has dropped the facade of, like, a, a, a cold-seasoned killer uh, 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 manipulator mastermind. Now he's literally just being like, like, he's like, I can't, you know, he, this must have been stuff that Colonel Stewart was doing when he was like, in, back in the day, like back in like Vietnam when he was like, like, yeah, he was killing like VC the jungle. He must have been like, when he was like hands on the ground, like relishing it, he must have been a psycho. Right. And then he got put into an administrative uh, command position. So he wasn't doing as much like hands on killing. He probably had done like, Tai Chi or any of, or any form of martial arts in like years with anyone. <laughs> so I had to imagine like this is a guy who was he was in the jungle, you know, he was probably like angry that he did it, he failed his mission in Vietnam. So then they sent him to South America and he's like doing he's doing it doubly hard now. And and like this is the first guy who's ever got into his into his head to like mess with him, to, to just drive him to uh Having to say all these flourishing lines because he's just like he's 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 past the point of sanity. Right, completely. So you know that we that we keep getting the the editing is done really well here. It keeps changing between shots of Stewart and shots of the fuel really really gushing out of the plane. You know, you it, yeah. You, you'd think that they probably wouldn't make uh, they wouldn't design a plane this way. That that if you open up like if you open up the 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 fuel tank on your in your car it's not as if the the fuel is going to be gushing out oh yeah so and you know even often, even if it's at a, yeah. even if it's at an angle you know you, yeah. you think I that often, there's a way I, they they have it that it sits in there much better yeah and also i i mean i think we talked about it earlier in the week but like i i had to assume that like there was uh you know there's definitely safety precautions that the the, the pilot has to probably hit something in the cockpit to allow that to even unlock because I, I know you hear about movies where they're like, oh, we had to dump the fuel to help us land and, you know, counterbalance the weight and stuff. So it's like, okay, the pilot can do that remotely probably. So I assume when they pull up uh, to get fueled up, I assume it's part one, there's a guy on the intercom who's like, all right, we're hooking up the hose to your to tank. And there's probably a pilot who has to, like, hit a release latch so that the, the maintenance guy can probably, like, do that. Right. I have to assume it's probably, like, at least a – it's a security two-step process, so no one can just like, you know, yeah, no one just open up and then throw a bomb like in the the, the plane's you know wing tank or something, or throw or you know put in like sugar or something. It's like there has to probably be a two-step process where the pilot is in control of knowing there's gas in, there's gas unlocked, there's right. gas leaving. Maybe maybe they only thought of doing that after 9/11. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like this airport is 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 a world away from what we experience now. Yes, in the twenty first sure. century. For sure, for sure. So you know, he's he's teetering on the, on the wing. He pull, pulls up the jacket and he like throws the jacket to 
you know, onto the ground to make sure that it won't snag again, I guess. Yeah. You know, then we get a shot of, of Esperanza, uh, quite happy. You know, he, he's, he's flying the plane, but looking out the window, you know, I guess he, he's aware of the fact at this point that Grant is dead and John is on the ground, maybe. Could be. So, yeah. Don't know. He, he probably feels like, he's like, oh, well, Carl Stewart took care of him. Right. And he said that too. He's like, yo, dude, I'm going to take care. And so it's, it's, yeah, he's like, he thinks it's, it's final. Right. And then, you know, we see that, that Stewart has a little bit of trouble getting back into the plane. You know, I guess I guess the speed they, they've sped up the plane a little bit, so that yeah. he's having a little more trouble to to get there. And then he's able to to get inside and close the door. And you know, once once he gets back in, you know, we we get another shot of the the fuel gushing out. You know, and and it's a great framing of the shot because you know we see Stewart uh, closing the door of the plane on the upper half of the of the screen and on the lower half is where you see, you know, the, this fuel gushing out, you know, for the yeah, whole thing. Good. Yeah. It's a good, yeah. Good shot to remind you. Yeah. Yeah. Now well, for me, I just find it really strange that, that Esperanza just keeps, he, he's not waiting for anybody. You know, he, you see him like continuing to, to fly the way that he's supposed to, you know, he doesn't care if Grant or Stuart are able to get back in or anything like that, you know, as the plane just keeps picking up speed because, you know, even if he's looking out the window, I don't know how much he can really see of what's going on. So it's a little, a little strange. Yeah, I'm very curious if he has any interest in returning to um, to Valverde. Like, I'm very curious if they ever going to make their way back there because wherever they fly to, hypothetically, they get out right. And so they said they're going to fly somewhere there's no snow. So I'm like, okay, somewhere in tropic. They said they're tropical. tropical. That's right. So the tropics. So yeah, it's like it's somewhere where they're they feel like they're not going to get, you know, a military intervention uh, to come after them. Because um, I also I also look at it as like, if you're the country that's receiving them, I feel like that'd be one of the few times you call U.S. government being like, hey, uh, we're a little concerned about the uh, military rogue force that landed in our country, and I know we don't do extradite, but uh, come and get we're them. Gonna, we don't, <laughs> Yeah, we don't like the fact that we just have like now thirty new uh, uh, highly trained psychos in our in our country now, like disturbing our civilians. That's a very good point. They're you know they're gonna have to send in uh, you know Rambo or uh, or one of Schwarzenegger's characters to go get them. Yeah. You know, John, hey, that that would be a good that would be a good uh, you know sequel to this. You know we have John Matrix go and take over it. There you go. That would be really cool. Yeah. I, I assume John Matrix was the guy. He's like, no, I'm tired of going after killing guys. And they're like, when are we kidnap your daughter? He's like, well, I guess I got to go out and kill you. Congratulations. <laughs> exactly. Well, come on. You got to motivate these guys. You know, and what yeah. better way to motivate them than to threaten their families? Yeah, it, it really does. It, it, the bad guys, really, that plan is always like, yeah, it's going to work out. We're going to be able to control him and, and keep everything in line. Oh, okay. Sure. Exactly. Makes sense. <laughs> and and then we, we get a shot, you know, the plane uh, continuing to speed up and moving further away from us. And then we get a shot of John, who once again, as in all of these movies, you know, we, we get glimpses of him looking defeated until he thinks of a new idea. You know, so he's looking on, seems seems defeated. You know, we'll have to wait until till Monday, uh, till, till Monday to find out exactly what John is going to end up doing. Yeah, I'm. I am very excited, and I do wish I could. Have, I could have seen those minutes, but uh, <laughs> I've seen the movie. I do love. I do love this moment. I, I, I wish I could have like seen been in the theater the first time when this happened. I am 
There has to be, because people have to be like, all right, well, John, they're all like kind of sitting there and be like, well, John's beat up and he's defeating them, got away. But like, I mean, he did take the, so they're in their brain. They're like, oh, he, they're all probably only thinking, well, he's like emptying the fuel out. So they're going to be in trouble. They'll crash. Like, that's probably what people are thinking that they'll, they'll crash somewhere in the air. Right. And like that moment, I cannot wait for you to really discuss that moment. Just be like, it must have been insane for audience members to like, you know, that Zippo comes out and they just, everyone's putting two and two together. Uh, it must have been, guys, it's feel like, you know, when I grew up, like this movie was always on TV and you're, you're watching like this, the, the cut, you know, the Yippee-Kaye, Mr. Falcon, you're, 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 you're hearing and seeing all of it a hundred times a day on, on weekends. So like, I was always kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. Sure. But like, boy, to be in the theater for the first time with an audience to like see them go, whoa, he's going to do that. That's kinda right. great. That's right. <laughs> and so anyone who wants to hear what happens there, come back on Monday. You know, and we'll we'll, we'll uh, be finishing up that what what happens here, and the the final shot of this this minute is a shot of Esperanza, you know, looking looking pleased and getting ready to take off. So, you have anything else for for this minute before we get into the script? No, I guess uh, I, I guess I'm good. Uh, yeah, just proceed, please. All right. So the, the script once again is very descriptive, and it it says. Uh, um, all right, so I'm going to go back a little bit to what we were talking about yesterday because it flows within it. Stuart screams and loosens his grip on McLean, who punches him away, goes back to work on the fuel port. But he's hardly at it when Stuart recovers and, and, and mangled hand held claw like kicks McLean's injured shoulder, kicks again, blood on Stuart's shoe. McLean is being worked over the edge of the wing. He catches at the last moment. Now he ignores Stuart's blows because under the wing, McLean feels for the fuel port. Turn, turn, it opens. Fuel spigots down. McLean feels the wetness on his hand. A ribbon of fuel twists behind the moving plane, slick and light reflecting. Stuart stomps on McLean's hands on the wing. Crunch stomps again. McLean smiles, and Stuart kicks him off the wing. McLean drops 20 feet, slams into the snow at the edge of the runway, bounces like litter thrown from a moving car. The big rear tire almost rolls him over. Stuart, with a victorious shout, yanks the coat from the aerial throws it away. Heads for the door. Esperanza sees this and smiles. So again, it's it's nice how they describe the whole thing. Uh, it's it's obviously much better visually, but they, you know they, they give them a good point to look for. You know by the way they describe it. So I, I, I like the way they do that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so every Friday we have a segment called "Where Are They Up to This Weekend," where I test my guests. Uh, memories of movies that they're what they claim are among their favorites. So, uh, Dave, I I know you did a uh, a Groundhog Day show, a minute by mm -hmm. minute. So, where is Groundhog Day up to at this point in the movie? So, like we've gone through 110 minutes of Die Hard 2. So, where is Groundhog Day at the 110 minute mark? Okay, I know Groundhog Day is not. Not this long. That's right. So, so it's over. I, I you're right. Say it's it's long since <laughs> over. Very and, good. Uh, if it's if it's if it's the early nineties, you're 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 rewinding the tape. You put it back <laughs> in the box. You put it by the door to make sure you take it back to Blockbuster on your when you go out to get groceries. That's like, right. that's, that's where Groundhog Day is in, 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 the, in the recording. Yeah, exactly. Be kind. Be kind. Rewind. There you go. <laughs> All right, and you also did a. You did five minutes of mystery. So what is going on in Mystery Men at this point? Uh, we are very, I think we might be in the film, but we're, we're like 
God. We're in the last few minutes. We might be credits. We might be the uh, the yeah. We might be where the 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 news the newscasters is like talking to them, and they're like, "Hey, this goes out to like all the DMV workers and all the little people." I think that's where. We might be. Like, that, might be that's exactly where we are. We we are in the middle okay. of the news report. That is great. You know, we, we, we get to see you know some 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 of the, the the characters you know talking on the news. I mean, I I always love the the shoveler, you know, and we we, we get we get to hear you know what what William William H Macy's got to say. So. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's great. Great. Very good. All right. So Dave, you want to once again tell people uh, where they can find you. Uh, yeah, you can find me over at uh, Five Minutes to Mystery, and yeah, uh, Groundhog Day, uh, Groundhog Minute, I should say, where we talk about Groundhog Day, and then on Five Minutes to Mystery, we talk about Mystery Men, and uh, I'm going to give a plug to a, it's a nine, they're nine movie by minutes, but they've been up and coming, and I want to give them uh, some props, I've been enjoying it. Sure. Uh, when they're done with you, I want them, I want people, I want the audience to listen to uh, Die Hard on a Blank, and so these 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 podcaster guys recently, they got, and they got some good guests on. They have been talking about obviously Die Hard, and then they are starting to go through a kind of a chronological waves that Die Hard made. And so they're talking about a lot of those movies when we always said, "Oh, it's like Die Hard on a blank." They're going to cover it, and they're going to talk about like, does it have these similar moments and stuff to to Die Hard? And they have little categories and little 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 trivia and games in it. And I've been really enjoying them. So like, so all the audience, when you're caught up with 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 Movie Rob and Die Hard. You don't have to be caught up. You can listen. You can listen simultaneously. That's fine. I don't. I want to make sure. I got. I. I, Yeah. I don't want to tell people. Oh, just 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 go listen to that. I want to make sure everybody gets their due. But yeah, like put on your feed if you're still in the mood to like listen to more Die Hard talk. Put these two guys on. Um. And uh, yeah, they talk about Die Hard. uh, uh, Gosh, I think they're doing. They just did Striking Distance at the time of this recording. They just put out Striking Distance. So if you wanted to have like Die Hard, but on a Pittsburgh uh, boat patrol, boom, there's your movie. Oh, that's a great one. I, I I'm actually a yeah. big fan of, of that. And it, well, the one thing I always love about that movie is the fact that apparently, um, I I don't remember if it was Tom Tom Sizemore or Robert Pastorelli who they were on like the Tonight Show and they ruined the ending of the movie before the movie. You oh. know when they when they were there promoting it. <laughs> yeah, I think Pastorelli might have been the. I think he's like the. I think he's the villain. So I think he might have like slipped up and said it. But I think Sizemore is also in it. Like. It has a lot of those '90s guys in it. You know, it's got um, oh, it's got Dennis Farina. Um, uh, it's got oh, John, what's his name? John something from uh from Frasier. Uh, no, John, John Mahoney. John Mahoney. John Mahoney. You're like God. All the '90s guys are in this one, and you have yes, Young Sarah Jessica Parker. So it's it's it really is uh, it is it is also more of a more of a killing noir type of film. So it's kind of, if you're in the mood for like a like pulp, like they gotta solve a murder in the city. Like it's more that than it is just boat explosions. Yeah, definitely. Oh wow, that's really so, cool. It is. Yeah, yeah. Recommend. Yeah, it's like. Oh, yeah. I already seen uh, Die Hard on a plane. Uh, have you seen Die Hard on a Pittsburgh patrol boat? <laughs> Check it out. Yeah. Well, I, I've never heard of that that uh, that podcast, but uh, what I'm reading about Phil and Liam sounds great. And uh, yeah, you know, they they have some great stuff here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. All right, go check them out also. And while you're doing that, you can uh, uh, find me very simply by doing a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, which is now known as X. Or you can find me on my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So, Dave, thank you very much for joining me this week. It's been a very fun week. I've enjoyed myself. Uh, I hope you have too. 
Uh, and more importantly, I hope all of our guests have. All of our, uh, I hope all of our listeners have. No, this is uh, this is fun. I, I do. I love talking Die Hard. I love and I, I do enjoy the trilogy sequels. Uh, four, I'm like I'm like okay on moments with it, and five is like, I feel like every time I watch five, which is only like two or three times now, um, I really just keep going. Like I wish they did something more with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead because I feel like they were ahead of the they were ahead of the times when they said Mary Elizabeth Winstead is an action star. You know, like she was still like <laughs> young in her twenties. And it's like it's a shame that like she was Lucy McClain and in the two movies that she's in, she's really just she's just there. And you're like, man, you know, now that you see what Mary Elizabeth Winstead's her her acting now, it's kind of like, damn it. Like it's like if you told me like Lucy McClain movie, like Bruce Willis is not involved, you know, but, you know, because of his health. But if you said like Lucy McClain uh, I might think, and you had maybe Bonnie Bedelia show up at a cameo. I would, I would, I would, I would go, all right, all right, I'll check it out. Like I would be like that. I'd still be okay. Yeah, I understand that. Because it's like Bruce Willis has given us a great career, but it's like, like we got Larry Elizabeth Winstead. Like I don't want to, you know, next, when when all the, the all the strikes and the, and the writers and the actors, when all those things have been, uh, all those all those uh, those contracts have been negotiated correctly and everyone's happy. That's that's I said I think that would be a good summer blockbuster movie or that or, or or maybe James Gunn brings her back and they do a hunch more of a hunch you know they do more Hunter's plot I don't know just, just let's you know let's let's see more Elizabeth Winstead. All right, that's it. That's all. Okay, I I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't know yet what I'm going to do with Die Hard Five when I get there. I probably will just have one episode on it, <laughs> just making fun of it. Um, I don't I, I don't think, think I can do it minute by minute. That's that's no. probably not in 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 the cards. It really no because I don't think the movie makers in those I think a lot of those scenes the movie makers are kind of just like whiffing it they're kind of like I don't know we have a scene where they do that and that's it like just there's no like subtext there's no like detail to it so there's not there's nothing to juicy go over and be like oh yes well in this one no it's like Bruce Willis seems annoyed and tired Jai Courtney seems boring you know all the rush the different Russian bad guys they throw at us they're like four or five different ones at us in that movie. They're all bland. Um, the one guy's like, I used to be, a, I wanted to be a ballerina, and he needs to choose a carrot. Like that's it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as, it's it, at least the last minute of the film when it's like the McLeans are walking off into the sunset. That's good. Like that's like legit good. Like good. Like we have now officially ended it. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, we don't need to go back to Die Hard anymore. That is a that that minuscule minute of that bad movie. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah so uh that's what you should do that you do you should be like cover the whole film in like 20 minutes and then just be like and then then walk off the sunset and that's it thanks for listening to movie rob talks a good day to die hard <laughs> yeah well we'll see so, i have, a, I have a few seasons till i get there so i'm, I'm fine yeah, I, yeah, I got, yeah, I got yeah, plenty no of time exactly all right no so thank you very much for, for for joining us dave i will be back on monday with a new guest and until then, yippee ki If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages, it